Welcome to Full Rigor, a Florida true crime podcast. I'm Karen Curtis, and this week on Full Rigor, a rapist hiding in plain sight in a family's home in Tampa. Literally a parent's worst nightmare. The babysitter had sex and a baby with the boy she was babysitting. Now, when I was 16, I was a babysitter. I was a babysitter extraordinaire in Michigan. I wasn't a live-in nanny, but I was basically a nanny that lived next door. I would babysit for our neighbors. They had a little boy and a little girl. And the little boy was probably like one. And I was there night and day, day and night. I made a dollar an hour. I cleaned the house. I did the dishes. I fed the kids. I did the laundry. I was there all day. I put them to bed. I'd wake them up in the morning. And for all that, I got a whopping eight bucks a day. I think they charge $8 an hour now. I was there so much that the one-year-old started calling me mommy, but never, ever did it cross my mind to be anything but a caregiver to these children. We don't normally think of females as sexual predators, but this is a story about one woman who was a particularly cruel predator. Prosecutors say Marissa Mowry was 22 and a live-in nanny when she secretly abused a young boy, 15 times. She had sex with him over several months in 2014, according to prosecutors. Chris McBride, now an adult, but he was 11 years old when the sexual abuse started with a simple game. It was a game called Are You Nervous? And the object of that game was she'd place her hand somewhere on my body and I'd say if I was nervous or not. And things escalated from there. Well, that's audio from an interview that Chris gave to Inside Edition in 2019. The live-in nanny, Marissa Maury, was 22, and not to be confused with the Jacksonville Jaguar quarterback Trevor Lawrence's wife, who's also named Marissa Maury. Well, not anymore. Now she's Marissa Lawrence. So anyway, completely different person. This Marissa, the babysitter, told the child she loved him. She said that she loved me. She said that she wanted to date, but she couldn't let anyone know. I can't get past wanting to date an 11-year-old. What? And Chris says she made him lie. Yeah, plenty of times. She said, you have to lie or else I'm going to have to go away. And they kept having sex over and over. And you know what happens when you keep having sex? You get pregnant. So she drops a bomb on the 11-year-old and says, hey, I'm pregnant and you're the daddy. I mean, he's not even a tweener. He's not even a teen. He's 11. He's a boy. And he's going to be a daddy? Mind blown. I was a little bit freaked because I was confused. So eventually Marissa had the baby. It had to stay in the neonatal intensive care unit for a while. And she named the baby Bentley. She pretended the real father was her boyfriend or some other man and continued to be employed as Chris's nanny, the real father of her baby. Now there are photos of him holding the baby while he's in the NICU and he doesn't tell anyone the child is his for three years until he's 14, and he finally tells his mother, Nadine, who, of course, is incredulous. Mom, Bentley's really my kid. No, there's no way. There's no way Bentley can be your child. But a DNA test proved otherwise. 
when the results came back in, I went and threw up. Not only did Nadine puke, she also felt like a terrible mother, like a... Like a failure? How did I let this woman manipulate me and my family in such a way that she could do this and I was blind to it? I mean, as a mother, you'd like to think you know what's going on under your own roof with your own children. Nadine hired Marissa as a nanny for her son in January of 2014. In fact, she was recommended by her sister-in-law, who had also employed her. And Nadine says she even came to think of her as a daughter. I thought of her almost as a second daughter, you know, just crazy. And then to turn around and betray my trust in this way is just... I mean, to, to think of my son as more than a child. It cost him his childhood. He's not going to know teen years like a normal teenager. Not only is Chris a father, he's also a victim. Know the people your children are around. Investigate everything. You are your child's biggest advocate. Don't be afraid of that. Because in the end, her boy was raped by a babysitter who had his baby. She said that she loved me. So in 2017, the boy revealed what happened. He told his mom, but apparently there was an anonymous tipster that called the Department of Children and Families Child Abuse Hotline. It led to an investigation and a DNA test that confirmed that the boy fathered Maori's baby. Oh, can you imagine? Apparently, until the anonymous tip came in, authorities didn't believe the story that this 11-year-old had impregnated a 22-year-old nanny. So finally, in 2017, Maori is arrested and charged with sexual battery of a victim under the age of 12 and sexual battery while in custodial authority. Now, while detectives questioned her, Maori initially denied any wrongdoing. She goes, no, 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 I did not rape him. She claimed that the boy raped her that she was drowsy from taking Benadryl and he took advantage of her. She said she told the boy to stop, but he pushed her down, removed her shorts, and then continued to sexually assault her. So Marissa claimed that Chris, a boy, had forced himself on her. However, prosecutors got Chris to talk to her on the phone and they taped the phone call and she acknowledged that that was not true. She had raped him, that she had been the aggressor. She said that she wanted to date. She originally faced life in prison before taking a plea deal that would net her 20 years behind bars. Mari also will have to complete 10 years of sex offender probation when she's finally released from prison. She pled guilty in a Tampa courtroom, and the Hillsborough Circuit judge, Laura Ward, designated her a sexual predator, just like Bill Cosby. That means when Maori is freed, she'll spend the rest of her life adhering to a series of strict conditions. No witnesses testified when she pled guilty and was sentenced, but the assistant public defender, Antina Mobley, did argue briefly that Maori had a troubled past, came from an abusive home, and her parents were always absent. The defense attorney explained that Marissa had even been homeless for a while and earned her high school diploma while behind bars. None of this swayed the judge. And after the hearing, Nadine, Chris's mom, scoffed at Marissa's troubled past and said it was no excuse for the damage she had caused for changing the course of her son's entire life. And by preying on him in his own home, 
Again, Marissa was sentenced to 20 years in prison, and that was when she was 28. Today, she's 30 years old and still behind bars. And technically, when she does get out of jail, she will still be within her childbearing years. Oh, and by the way, she also got pregnant by another teenage boy whose parents were in the courtroom when she was sentenced for this rape. In fact, Maury has three children. According to court records, in 2017, a man who fathered one of the children asked the court for sole custody of their son. And according to NBC8 in Tampa, Mari was accused of getting pregnant by another teen and having his child. I don't think any charges were filed there, but as I said, the victim's parents were in the courtroom during sentencing and reportedly said they were pleased with the judge's ruling. Now, according to Nadine, Chris's mom, she felt that Maori had manipulated her family and that the authorities initially didn't take the allegations seriously. She called her ex-nanny and the mother of her grandchild a predator. So just imagine what it was like growing up as a boy with a baby. I mean, he was 17. He took his son to school in the morning, and then he'd go to school himself. And then he played with the boy in the backyard when he got home. He couldn't hang out with friends after school. He had to take care of his kid. And of course, dating was out. I mean, that's a real chick magnet. Hey, you want to come over and play with my kid? What? You're 17? You have a five-year-old? Don't make me do math. (laughs) But Nadine says that Bentley has not ruined her son's life. In fact, she says he's changed his life and he's turned into one of the most amazing dads you'll ever meet. (laughs) I love that so much. That's Bentley when he was five and he thinks his dad is the best. A best daddy. From the game, does this make you nervous to behind bars? Chris says... Game over. (laughs) The bottom line is to know the people your children are around. Investigate everything. You are your child's biggest advocate. She said, you have to lie or else I'm going to have to go away. And she did go away for 20 years. Now... I also wanted to update you on a serial killer who preyed on women in South Florida many years ago. There were three murders committed decades ago in South Florida that appear to be the work of a serial killer who died in a plane crash. Here's Broward Sheriff Gregory Tony. I'll give you a little backstory about the nature of the cases that was concluded here. Almost 20 years ago, we had three young ladies who were victimized two in Broward County and one in Miami. The first of which was killed and left packaged in a suitcase in Cooper City. The second of which was a young lady who was also killed and packaged in a duffel bag to be left in Dania Beach. And then the third found his way, a young lady to be floating, left killed in Biscayne Bay. On August 30th, uh, 2001, our officers responded to the area of 1450 Briggle Bay Drive uh, in reference to a female's body who was floating in the water. Uh, the body was retrieved. Initially, the body was unidentified. It was later identified as the victim, Ms. Jessica Good. With the assistance of the medical examiner's department, Dr. Liu from our medical examiner department performed an autopsy, found some wounds to the chest, stab wounds, and determined that this was a homicide indeed. We determined that Ms. Good had a boyfriend who spoke to us and told us that uh, she had spoken to him the night before she went missing, explained to him that she was going on a date Uh, with a white Hispanic gentleman who was driving a van and a phone number that was affixed to that van. Okay, so that's weird. 
She tells her boyfriend she's going on a date. And these type of atrocities, as you can imagine, devastate the community and it devastates the families because they have no closure. So that's Broward Sheriff Gregory Tony, and this week he identified the alleged serial killer. And the suspect at the time was Roberto Fernandez. He was an individual who had resided in Miami. He was a Brazilian citizen. And unfortunately, before Miami police officers were able to interview and interrogate, had fled the country and found himself back in Brazil. And while he's in Brazil, Fernandez gets word that there's a hit that's been put out on him. So he tries to escape that and gets on a plane to Paraguay, which crashes. So there is some closure there for the families of the three women because he did ultimately face justice. He died, just not behind bars. We had to confirm whether the death was real or not, as we take into consideration that people may fake their death, especially after committing our murder, uh, the murders in Broward and possibly others. Ultimately, they were able to confirm that Mr. Fernandez was dead. The body was exhumed, uh, DNA was taken, and it all matched the profile that was obtained from the apartment and from Mrs. Good's uh, fingernail scrapings. Um, At that time, uh, Broward, um, who was conducting their own investigation throughout this whole time, uh, was able to follow through with their investigation as well. Um, concurrently, basically, since their murders occurred prior to ours in 2001. Now, following the local homicides, police said that Fernandez had been arrested for killing his wife, but a jury acquitted him. However, her family allegedly paid to have him killed, leading Fernandez to flee from Brazil to Paraguay on the ill-fated flight. Now, his body was exhumed last year so investigators could collect that DNA, And the samples that they collected tied him to the three murders here in South Florida. We were able to convince a provincial judge in Brazil to issue an order of exhumation of Roberto Fernandez. Uh, They were able to locate uh, remains inside the grave, and those were compared to a DNA standard, which was then later compared to our crime scene standard, and it was confirmed that he was the suspect in all three of these murders based on that. We were... Also fortunate that in 2015, uh, there was a homicide that occurred in Palm Beach County. The suspect in that homicide was a Cuban citizen and fled to Cuba after the murder. Much like Brazil, there was no extradition agreement. In 2018, Cuban authorities arrested him and he stood trial in Cuba for the murder that was committed in Palm Beach. This was unprecedented. It wasn't anything that had been seen before, but it laid the groundwork for us to approach the government of Brazil with the possibility of could we locate Roberto Fernandez, could he stand trial in your country, and they were receptive to the concept. I wish we were up here showing you his mugshot. Unfortunately, we we were deprived that pleasure. Knowing his last minutes on earth were probably full of terror. Makes me feel a little better. But at least today we can provide answers to the families as far as what happened to their loved ones and the person who was responsible. Now, according to detectives, the three cases shared similar fact patterns, which is common with serial killers. And then the DNA evidence collected from all three crimes pointed to the unknown culprit until this week. Also, fingerprints from the evidence collected at two crime scenes were a match, but the identity of the killer remained a mystery until 2011 when BSO got a big break. The DNA from the Miami homicide matched the unknown suspect DNA profile collected from the Broward County murders. And additionally, the fingerprints taken from Fernandez following the death of his wife 
years earlier matched the fingerprints from the crime scenes. As the sergeant mentioned, uh, their case involving Jessica Good in 2001 was the last piece that kind of connected all three of these murders. Uh, back in 2000, starting with the uh, death of Kim Livesey and later with the death of Sia Demas, we were able to obtain a DNA profile for an unknown suspect on both of those crime scenes. In addition, we also had a fingerprint uh, from the crime scene of Sia Demas. Uh, unfortunately, traditional methods of submitting that profile and those fingerprints into automated government systems to see if anybody was a match came back with nothing, uh, which usually means it's someone who's not in the system. We were fortunate enough that the case in 2001 that the city of Miami had uh, were, was able to obtain the same DNA profile uh, and then had a name attached. And that's what led us into the investigation identifying Roberto Fernandez as the uh, killer of all three of these victims. Now, detectives believe Fernandez may be responsible for other murders in the United States during the time that he lived here. And anyone with information is asked to call Broward Crime Stoppers at 954-493-TIPS. Hey, if there's a serial killer inside your house, where is the safest place to hide? In the living room. And lest you think serial killer jokes aren't okay, they are okay as long as they are properly executed. Sorry. Well, that wraps up Full Rigor. Check me out on Instagram at Full Rigor Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, download from any of the platforms. Full Rigor is everywhere. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.